The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. This is my last Sunday up here as your ministerial intern. The next time you see me, I will be magically transformed into your assistant minister. Hold on, you haven't heard me preach yet today. So I've been at Wellsprings for two years now, and I have finally been converted. I love Jason Isbell. Yes. I'm surprised Ken isn't fist pumping in the back right now. Jason Isbell, one of the greatest songwriters, I would say, probably of our time, and his latest album. I just pre-ordered it. There are two songs that you can listen to right now, and one of them is called 24 Frames. 24 Frames. The chorus, the lyrics of the chorus of that song go like this. You thought God was an architect. Now you know he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. And everything you built that's all for show goes up in flames in 24 frames. Everything you built that's all for show goes up in flames in 24 frames. The guess around the internet is that 24 frames is a reference to the shutter speed of a 35 millimeter camera. A 35 millimeter camera captures 24 frames per second which is the same approximate speed of motion of the human eye, of what we see in front of us in the world. It's appropriate for me to talk about cameras on Father's Day. My dad, almost literally, maybe when he's in the shower, but otherwise is never without a camera. Now, maybe that camera only comes out when I'm there. I have no way of knowing that, right? I saw him two weeks ago. We spent the afternoon together, and as I was getting out of the car to meet him, he had his camera up and ready. I'm not exaggerating. To snap a picture of me exiting the vehicle. Before he and I even saw each other face to face. Now, I learned to see the world in much the same way as my dad, like a lot of children do. In high school, I was the historian for our drama club, which meant that I made a scrapbook of photographs and ticket stubs out of every, for every single show that we did. I would walk around the rehearsals like a little documentary photographer, taking pictures. And when the night of the show came, I couldn't do that. I was in the show. So my dad would show up and he would take pictures of the show for me, hundreds and hundreds of pictures to help me finish out my scrapbooks. My father is someone who appreciates an accurate picture of the world. If you have ever noticed or maybe even admired any candor or bluntness or realness in me, You have my father to thank for that, trust me. With maybe a little side note of gratitude to the city of Philadelphia. (laughs) Yo, right. 
But I also believe in having an accurate picture of the world. I believe that that's important. And that's why those lyrics from 24 Frames intrigue me. You see, I think we do have a popular image in our society of God as being like an architect. Right? God is a planner. God is writing a story of the world that builds on itself, that accumulates over time. There's progress. Like it is all moving forward in some kind of linear way. But what if God is like a pipe bomb? What if God is a force of destruction? Or disruption? Constant disruption of our steadiness, of our sense that things will stay the same. That kind of God fits in pretty well with our Spirit Flicks movie this week. Our summer series, Spirit Flicks, finds meaning in movies. And I wanted to talk since actually last year when this movie came out about the movie Wild. In this movie, we follow Cheryl Strayed, this woman right here. Reese Witherspoon plays her in the movie, but this is a real-life story. The book upon which the movie was based and the movie stay very true to her actual experiences. Now, Cheryl Strayed has lived a pretty troubled life. And at the age of 26, she decides to blow it all up. She leaves everything behind, her apartment, her relationships, her stuff, her job. She decides to set off on an 1,100-mile hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. 1,100 miles. Now, I ran four miles in gym class once. (laughs) So it was kind of hard for me to grasp what this looks like. This is what this looks like. That red line is what she hiked on two feet from the southern border of California to the northern border of Washington State, the entire west coast of the continental United States. She had never done anything remotely like that before. She was not well prepared. But she was motivated by a very powerful emotion. Guilt. We learn in the movie that Cheryl's father was an abusive alcoholic. We see vivid memories that she has of caring for her mother's wounds after a beating. And when her mother and her siblings finally escaped the marriage, Cheryl took on a lot of responsibility for holding things together. When Cheryl's mother was diagnosed with lung cancer at the age of 45, Cheryl's brother distanced himself from the family because of the pain that he was in. And Cheryl went out to find him. She went looking for her brother, and she brought him back to her mother's bedside in the hospital the morning after she had already passed. The morning after she had passed. She missed being there for her mother's last breath. 
After Cheryl's mother died, her mother's beloved horse, Lady, got sick. And Cheryl had promised to do the kind thing. She had made a promise to her dying mother to do the humane thing for Lady when the time came. But when the time came, she didn't have the money to do it right. And so she stood alongside her brother as he shot Lady in the head. And they watched the horse die a slow and painful death. This is all true. And as if that wasn't enough to carry, Cheryl bore the grief of her mother's death harshly. She sunk into addictive and numbing behaviors. She used heroin and sex to dull the pain that she felt. She cheated on her husband over and over and over and over again. When they finally divorced, Cheryl chose to take that last name that we know her by. She chose the word strayed from the dictionary on her divorce papers. In the movie, we see how she and her soon-to-be ex-husband One of the last things they do together, they go to get matching tattoos right here. They get matching tattoos of Lady, of the horse that she'd watched die, representing her final broken promise to her mother. She literally marked her name and her body with her guilt. Powerful stuff. powerful motivator to walk the length of the continental United States. It's no wonder the movie starts with her wrestling a heavy pack, way too big, way too overstuffed for her journey, completely overloaded. It's a pretty clear visual metaphor for the penance that she is doing. When she's asked why she wants to hike the whole Pacific Crest Trail, having never done anything like that before, she says, I want to walk myself back to the woman my mother thought I was. I want to walk myself back to the woman my mother thought I was. That's crushing. Now, in that heavy pack... Cheryl Strayed was carrying two different kinds of guilt. She had the guilt for her own actions, for which she was 100% accountable. But she was also carrying all that guilt she took on for keeping her family together, for her mother's pain, for things that were completely out of her control that she inherited and she took up. She took that guilt on out of love for her family, but it weighed her down and it stood in the way of her healing for a long time. We experienced a loss this week in our country. We lost these nine people behind me. 
I think it's important to say their names. I'm going to ask if you would like to close your eyes or if you would like to just breathe deeply for a minute. I don't know what I want you to think about. Maybe think about them or their families. Maybe just think about the privilege that we all have to be sitting here right now alive and breathing this air together. We lost Clementa Pinckney. We lost Tywanza Sanders. Sharonda Singleton. Myra Thompson. Ethel Lee Lance. Cynthia Hurd. Daniel Simmons Sr. DePayne Middleton Doctor. And Susie Jackson. Just four days ago, a man walked into their church. Their church. He sat with them at a Wednesday night prayer circle for an hour. And then he told them that he was killing them because they were black. I admit that I'm still grieving. I'm still processing this. These people were murdered for reasons that were very specific to the kind of church and the history of the church where they gathered. But I have to be honest that part of the reason this hit me so hard is because I've sat in prayer circles with you, with eight of you or nine of you or 12 of you right over there. Can you even imagine? I've cried a lot in the past four days. I cried on the way here. Not out of some abstract guilt, but because of the pain that I know is here in this room. We might each be bringing that pain from different places. It might take different shape in our lives, but we're all in pain when we see something like this happen. That pain is real for all of us. I learned about things like this in school growing up. Like they were ancient history. Some of you probably in my generation feel the same way. We learned about Ruby Bridges being spit on and screamed at. We learned about Martin Luther King having shots fired through the front wall of his house. We learned about four little girls killed in a basement of a church in a firebombing, like they were ancient history. This is the same damn thing. It's still here. All of the policy changes in the world, important as they've been, have not been able to fundamentally change this nation's heart. And that is awful and sickening and sad. It's crazy-making. There are a lot of synonyms that we use to talk about what happened this week. 
We hear words on the news like racism, bias, prejudice, ongoing tension, hate, being old-fashioned, having pride in Southern heritage, being offensive, being insensitive, all synonyms. I prefer to be very precise. When I talk about what happened earlier this week, it's white supremacy. It's the ideology that white people's lives are worth more than the lives of people of color. I can be that precise because I did learn in history class that the founding fathers of our country were very precise when they wrote this idea into the founding documents of our country. They were precise to a fraction. They wrote that a black person counted as three-fifths of a white person. What a grotesque, ugly place to start. What a bald-faced lie to build this country on. I saw on Facebook a colleague of mine, another Unitarian minister this week, writing that this is our nation's original childhood trauma. This is our childhood trauma. And as a community and a nation, we have not healed it. Exhibit A, unfortunately, that we have not healed it is that picture I showed you of the nine people that were killed on Wednesday night. So I'll speak for myself. I was born into this family, like most of you. I was born into this American family, and because of that, I inherited some trauma. I inherited wonderful things, too. I inherited a love of apple pie. Apple pie is delicious. I inherited a respect for democratic revolution. I inherited a brilliantly created structure for those founding documents that unfolds over time, that allows our country to grow and change as we learn more and become better at living into those intentions at our heart. And I also inherited this gaping wound that we have tried to stitch up or cover over without allowing it to breathe. Without allowing it to breathe and fully heal. My mother actually taught me that a wound needs air to heal. My dad taught me about science, too. He was kind of a nerd. And I remember, I don't know why this is stuck in my head, but Newton's third law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It sounds a lot like the law of karma, actually, when you think about it. When we look at the long history of white supremacy in this country, 
and all the ways that it has seeped into our neighborhoods, into our school systems, into our government and our media and our prisons and our own hearts and ways of thinking. It is overwhelming. It is overwhelming to take it all in. It's an overwhelming force when we allow the enormity of it all to sink in and to realize it's still happening today, this week. And then there's the love that we feel. Right? There's our desire to see this stop, to care for one another, to be good to be good people, to be good to each other, to show and act out of our true compassion, is that's also overwhelming. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And when they meet in the middle, it's like a pipe bomb ready to blow. When they meet in the middle... Is it dangerous? Or is it God showing up? Is it evidence of universalism? That healing and restoration, connection, are what we are here for. Is it evidence of Unitarianism, that original blessing, that natural, innate urge we have to see each other's deep, inherent worth arising again and again against the odds? On Friday, the family members of those nine people spoke to their loved one's killer in court. You can watch a video of it online. Has anyone watched that video? A couple people. A lot of you. Many of the family members said that they forgave him. And the reason I ask if you watch that video is because it's one thing to read the headline that says that they forgave him. It's another thing to hear their voices, to hear the tone of their voice, For many of them, they spat that word out. Like something bitter. Their voices filled still with pain and grief because how could they not be? But they said it. They said that they forgave him. They still believe that healing is possible. They believe in the words of their Christian faith, in giving this young man a chance to repent and change. They believe that this young man is still worth saving for eternity. That's what that means. And they trust that if they show their faith in the power of that healing, restorative love, that love could still win in his life. Love was the most powerful weapon in their arsenal. And so they spat it in his face. That is wild. 
That's wild. That is not a tame God making a plan for progress. That is a pipe bomb kind of God. When Cheryl strayed, got to the end of her walk, her big realization after all that was that her life was her own. She says, so very close, so present, so very belonging to me. Immediate. She would never be able to go back and change the past. She would never be able to undo what she had done. But she could let that be. She could take that weight off of her shoulders because it would allow her to act differently now. Accountable for every choice she made now. Accountable for what she allowed to happen in the world around her. Conscious and aware and awake of how every interaction and relationship and comment and intention she sets is an opportunity to live in integrity with who she wants to be in the world. All of us have been raised in this family. And I don't think that God is going to fix these problems for us. I know that there's a famous quote about the arc of the universe bending towards justice. I believe that, and I also worry that it gives us an easy way out sometimes. I don't think that arc of the universe is a water slide that we get to ride down. I think we're working together with God on this one. With the force of undying love, Our salvation and our peace will not come from a perfectly created system that fixes things once and for all. We've tried that. Our salvation and our peace is wild. Wild. It's weather. It's ecosystem. It's risk and conviction. And that's why it demands nothing more and nothing less than our presence and our attention and our care. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Holy presence in our lives. God, who lives in and knows our hearts. May we be forgiven. May we truly feel the grace of forgiveness in our own lives. May we open to the sadness, the the anger, the rage, the grief, whatever is here for us, 
May we see ourselves as connected to each other and not let the heaviness of our own packs get in the way. May we look into each other's eyes knowing that we are all connected, we are here for each other, that we matter, and that at the end of the day, each and every one of us is loved. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.